Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. And this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me. And then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk. Let's share information. Let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. This is episode 14. Stay well, play well. Everyone's an athlete. And I'm not kidding. It's kind of what we have to tell ourselves. And to help us in the podcast today is Larry Wiesman, my trainer of over six years. Co-producing is Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti. And I'm also going to be talking about the six morning habits of high performers with Hal Elrod, And by performers, he doesn't mean artists. He means business people. The acronym is SAVERS, S-A-V-E-R-S. We're going to be talking about that. I ran to the vault and found Bach's E-flat major cello suite from my CD in translation. I feel like this is an athletic feat for the flute. Thanks for being with us today. We're so glad you're here. I came across a podcast from 2018, and it featured motivational speaker Hal Elrod. It it was about his book, The Six Morning Habits of High Performers, and it dealt with his career in business. So this didn't have anything to do with being an artist or a creative. He was trying to make money, and in 2008, he lost everything. And he listened to a podcast where Jim Rohn, another motivational speaker, said this. Your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development because success is something you attract by the person you become. So I believe that we need to become the person that we want to be, that we need to be. And so... There are six things that Hal Elrod kind of happened upon as the top six things that successful people did. And he turned it into a book. And the acronym is SAVERS, S-A-V-E-R-S. So we'll be talking about that throughout the podcast. I think it's important to know that we're constantly moving. We're constantly moving through time, through space, through emotions, 
And it's important to understand that the body has to house all that movement. The body is a host to you, an amazing human. So make sure you treat it well and move. If we sit, we stay. But if we move, then life happens to us and through us. And we can become more effective at living. Right now, even just being alive is a test. So it's important that you take care of yourself so you can help others. It's important that when you first wake up in the morning, you take care of yourself in a way that's very effective. And if you are effective in the morning, it's going to be effective throughout the day and throughout the week and throughout your relationships and throughout your job and everything just gets better. So let's talk a little bit about how babies develop after they're born in the first year or two, right? So the limbs are growing, the head is growing, the brain is growing and just forming and we begin to walk. Now let's say the baby takes a few steps, but they have to hang on to a finger or a hand or a a table leg or something. They need to have something help them up. And everybody's applauding the first time the baby gets up on their feet. And then the baby starts taking steps, either towards something or away from something. And it's incredible to watch that a human can start to walk on their own. But then there's that unexpected truth that later in life, we take those crutches away. We no longer get to hold a hand or grab a leg. It's just us walking on our own. Maybe we develop a limp or um, I know I fell off a horse and kind of housed an injury for years. Maybe we're born with something that we feel is so insurmountable. But let me remind you that the body is an incredible thing and it always needs to move. However much we've held it back, it still needs to move. And it will impress you greatly if you do so. So back to the child walking. When you're watching this child walk, notice the freedom of the head, the freedom of the arms, the gestures they make, the freedom of the legs. Everything is constantly moving together. And yet they're a little bit separate and they're available. It's called inclusion. It's availability. And it's all those things that we need to study as creative people and artists to put out the best product. So I would encourage all of you to start moving your body. It will tell you what it needs. If it's a slow stretch workout, or if you need a musical beat, if you need meditation, if you need high energy, your body will tell you what it needs. I think it's important to flush all the cortisol that's way too high in our brain, that activity that starts there, that thinks we can do all these things at 6.30 in the morning. No, it's important to to flush all that. So Hal Elrod starts with the S of savers as silence, and he speaks about meditation. I would just say flush, sit there, let the silence fill up your life. You can deal with everything, 
after the silence. Ask, what can I do today? What am I supposed to do today? And just listen, take a breath and feel waking up. Let the body wake up and you'll start to move and it will be in a peaceful way. The A in savers is for affirmation. The V in savers is for visualization. And the E, exercise. Affirmations have four different categories according to Hal Elrod. For me, I just like to make sure that I'm keeping motivational or sacred text in the front of my brain. I like to be... Uh, moved spiritually when I'm affirming. So that's just where I go in the morning with my affirmations. You can find it on a Pinterest board. Just find affirmations that make you feel good and powerful and successful and, and take you to where you need to be. V, visualization, that's very powerful. I mean, really powerful. I call it moving the planets, like seeing yourself strong in the situation you want to be in and visualizing the concert as you need to, it to be and playing how you need to play. Visualizing is so powerful. That's something that can be done after the silence and the affirmations. And then E stands for exercise and you are about to meet Larry Wiesman. He has trained Olympians, surgeons, oh gosh, entrepreneurs, business people, chefs, bakers, you name it. And then me, a flute player. Thank you so much for coming on and being on my podcast because you only really know me as your quote-unquote athlete, because you think everyone's an athlete. So welcome, Larry. Well, thank you. I'm wearing my athlete shirt to remind myself. So how come everyone's an athlete? Well, because I think that society has deemed 
that we think of an athlete as somebody who plays a professional sport for an income. And when you are kind of brought up thinking that or told that, you look at a basketball player or a baseball player or whatever, uh, they're being paid to play a game. And so that's what we've been kind of programmed to feel as an athlete. Well, I look at it very differently. Anyone that has to perform for their job, and by perform, I don't mean get in front of a crowd. I mean, actually get out there and produce to actually do your skill set, whatever that is, and do it well. Then you need to prepare for that, whether it's physically or mentally. And you need to do it with the same exuberance that a professional athlete does to go out and be at the top of their game. So there's physical demands, there's mental demands, there's the psychology of whatever it is. And you need to be prepared athletically in all of those categories. So I think everybody's an athlete. How do we figure out what's best then for us? Because I've done everything from the Jane Fonda LP back in my 20s. And <laughs> and then I did, you know, the classic aerobics class and then spin class and everything in combination has really worked. But I don't know, for some reason, once I got a personal trainer, it worked for me, but it doesn't work for everyone. So how do we how do how do you conceptualize like telling people what's best for them? You have to see your doctor. We know that. But beyond that, w- w- do you walk into a gym? It's not one size fits all. For sure, it's not. But if you look at uh, you've been teaching people how to play the flute for a couple of decades. If you look at the methods, the techniques, the drills, some of those very basic concepts are probably still true today. But as your personal development has changed, so is the way you've taught. Some of the techniques or some of the drills, some of the methods. So it's kind of an evolving thing, especially because exercise is a science. There's a lot of science involved. So there's an evolution to exercise as a whole. So there is no correct answer in terms of what is the best thing for this person or or that person to do. So I would always say somebody who does something is in better shape overall than somebody who does nothing. So just getting off your butt and doing something is an improvement over watching TV shows and eating bags of potato chips. If you're looking for efficiency um, and effectiveness, then yes, you should probably incorporate or contract a professional. How do you know which professional to trust? You don't. I've seen people in my industry, uh, unfortunately, that give the industry a very bad name. So I think rather than get caught up on the who's the best or who's better than someone else, the first step is to do something, get involved. And as you further educate yourself, you can make wiser decisions on what the best route for you to go is as you continue. What do you suggest as we age um, in changing it up? Like, how do we know how to change it up? We're aging. That's a great question. And it's a very individual uh, answer. When I was in junior high school, we were taught that putting one leg in front of the other with stiff knees and bending down towards the floor was a hamstring stretch. Well, we clearly know today that that's a hamstring contraction. It's the opposite of stretching it. But I still see guys in my age category doing their warm up, bending over and bouncing up and down, thinking they're stretching their hamstring. So a lot of it's just programming. Um, but as your needs change and your interests change, um, your exercise program should too. Uh, if you're doing the same distance or the same intensity or the same resistance levels, 
as you were five years ago, the odds that you've made progress is probably not real good. If I'm playing the same scales and I'm playing the same uh, ranges and I haven't gotten any higher or I'm not any faster, I haven't picked up on any new techniques, I'm not doing trills or anything like that, my talent shouldn't be any bit any better five years later. So why would my body be any better? And then as you mentioned, aging, as we get older, it gets harder, not easier. So the intensity has to increase, the focus, uh, but also the reason. Like know your why. Why are you exercising? What is the reason that you want to exercise? Is it just because someone said it's good for you? Or is it because you have a vision of how you want to look and feel? Do you have a certain confidence that you want to attain that comes with that exercise to help you be the best at what you do. It's very personal. You have to find out what that is. You always say out of 15 reps that number eight through 15 are the ones that count. And yes, they're going to burn. And yes, at 4 p.m., it will reap the benefits for your body. What is the threshold? And how do you get me through that? And I can only ask personally because you haven't trained our listeners. But I know I want to give up. And you know I want to give up. So you say, okay, here's where the work starts. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's it's um, it's human nature by one. I mean, nobody wants to uh, or very, very few people want to inflict discomfort and pain on themselves. Um, But I promise you, if you look at a professional athlete that plays a sport or a professional musician or the best of the best uh, neurosurgeon or whatever, whatever occupation you want to pick, that person, the person that's at the top is not in that category of they want to stop 80% of the way or they don't want to do that extra reading or play for that extra two hours of practice. These are a unique group of people that just have to achieve and they're, they're not going to fall into the category of the average person. That's why part of why they're not average. So you have the, speaking about you personally because we've worked together for several years And you have a discipline and a mindset in your profession that is not just limited to your profession. It comes across the board. I've been in your home. It's always clean and organized and tidy. Uh, When you make a meal, it's not uh, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There's a whole bunch of different things out available. I mean, you you go through the extremes of making that experience what it, it can be. And you take that the same way with your exercise. You know what your limitations are. And if someone needs to give you that little extra push to help you achieve the reps that make the difference 
then you're willing to do that because you have a desire to go further and beyond where you can go by yourself, which is the same reason we hire a professional anything because that's not our skill set. There are certain jobs that I won't do at my house, electrical or plumbing, because it's just not worth my time, money and energy to do it not as well as having somebody come in and be paid to do it and do it right. You know from our conversations that I started playing the trumpet in the fifth grade. And I was blessed with natural ability, but throughout junior high and high school, I was not blessed with some of the drive and determination that I now have as an adult. Uh, I could have excelled and probably been really, really, really good had my desire been there. So while I had a natural ability for some of the form and technique, uh, I lacked the drive and determination to take me to the next level. So on the technical standpoint, with exercise or weightlifting in general, you do not want to harm your body. The whole idea is to make it physically more sound and more dependable. So there's the importance of proper form, as you mentioned, from an injury prevention standpoint. But I think more importantly is the, or at least equally importantly, is the discipline that it care enough what you're doing to do it correctly. When you are tired, you just got home from a long day's work and you're supposed to practice your trumpet or French horn or whatever for two hours and you go, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, that's not discipline. So if you want to be good, you're going to have to apply that discipline with all the same fundamental form techniques, rehearse it, rehearse it, rehearse it until it becomes habit so that you're not thinking about, do I want to? It just has to happen. And it's the same thing with, with physical exercise. Nobody that I know wants to go out and do 20, 100-yard sprints. They're not like, oh, my goodness, I can't wait to get home and do sprints. But they know that doing those is just part of their daily routine. So if they're going to approach them and do them, you might as well do them right. Do them safely. Do them efficiently. Do them effectively. And I don't care what we're talking about. Those rules... They apply across the board, whether you're practicing an instrument or preparing for a sporting event. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. A bike ride, form and technique fall under the category of having the discipline to care enough about what you're doing to do it correctly. I'm asked quite a bit what I, I think is probably commonly referred to in many industries as covering myths and misconceptions of fill in the blank. So under myths and misconceptions of weightlifting, uh, I hear some things repetitively uh, over and over and over for years and years and years. I stop asking people where they came up with that because uh, it's irrelevant. It's common enough that regardless of where it came from, it's prevalent to the point where people are believing it. And one of the most common things that I hear from women is, well, I don't want to lift weights because I don't want to get big and bulky. Weights do not make you big and bulky. Cupcakes and donuts make you big and bulky, period. Doritos make you big and bulky. Soda pop makes you big and bulky. Your body doesn't want those poisons in it. It just doesn't. It's not designed that way. It took centuries of evolution of our bodies to even to begin to adjust to the various chemicals and, and fake foods that we put in the body. It doesn't want that stuff. 
many of the ailments and diseases of just commonplace today are simply because of the poisons we're choosing to put into our bodies. So women are not gonna get big and bulky by lifting five, 10 and 15 pound dumbbells. I, I've said um, to women in my gym that have said that, well, I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna get big, all, big and bulky like you are. And I said, I'm not big or bulky and I lift as heavy as stuff as I possibly can every single day with the intensity that you guys all call crazy. So if I can lift 100 pounds 15 times and still not get giant, how are you gonna get big lifting it five times when it weighs five pounds? You're not. Women don't have the testosterone flowing through their body that men do, so you're just, you're just not even designed to get as big and bulky as a man could, and we're trying. Ask every guy. He wants bigger chest, bigger shoulders, bigger arms, bigger legs. So just get that out of your head. Your muscles respond to resistance. The more resistance they get, the greater they'll respond with a few caveats. What are you feeding your body? So if you're feeding your body the proper balance of proteins, carbs, and fats, it will heal itself. It will grow lean muscle mass, and it will keep itself strong for you. You will, if you are fortunate enough to live through your 30s and then into 40s and 50s, you can lose up to about 10% of your lean muscle mass every decade. And you don't want to lose that because it's really hard to make it. It's responsible for keeping your skeletal system in line. Posture, uh, joint pain, you want to minimize the onset of arthritis. And if we live long enough, we're all going to experience that. So the physical attributes of exercise are known. They're obvious. They're not in dispute. Where we run into a problem is the physical part versus the mental part and the excuse making. So your body's this amazing machine. It will adapt to heat, it will adapt to cold, it will adapt to lack of water. Uh, it can even, to a degree, uh, adapt to oxygen changes. I don't know if you've ever been to Colorado, but if you've you know, gone from here to Denver and you start walking around, uh, you're short on breath. There's a reason, the air's a lot thinner. But we adapt to that. Professional football teams, when they go to play the Denver Broncos, will fly in several days early to adapt to the thin air, to the oxygen demands. So we know what the body's capable of doing. It's do we have the mental capacity to push the body to an uncomfortable place for it to have the opportunity to adapt to its new surroundings, to get stronger, to get more healthy, and to perform better for us when we want it to. So there's tons of myths and misconceptions that can block you very easily from doing exercise altogether. Oh, my friend told me that if you do squats, uh, you won't be able to put your jeans on anymore. Well, that's nonsense. If you eat enough cake, you won't be able to put your jeans on anymore, I assure you. So it, it, it's not, uh, everything has to be done correctly. And that's true with music, that's true with weightlifting, so that you get the, uh, the desired result. But get it out of your head that exercise is somehow going to be a deterrent in any way from you being a better spouse, a better mother, father, daughter, husband, wife. It, it, it just doesn't matter. The, the more physically fit you are, your stress levels are down. Everything goes up. Your endorphins are running. Your mood improves. Your sleep improves. Everything gets better the more fit you are. It's hard to have the discipline to get there. If you can maintain it for 30 days, 
you'll get addicted to the feeling of feeling better, and that will start to form your new habits. Reading is one of the most important things that you could do for your life, for your brain, for conversation. Literacy is very important as a professor. So I really stress in my students' life that they need to read. And reading is the R in savers. Whatever you read in the morning, it should be something that's going to propel you forward. So I wouldn't suggest your favorite novel. I would actually read something that's motivational. And you can discover that on your own in whatever direction you choose. And finally, the S, Hal Elrod is subscribing. He says, write, subscribe, and make sure that the journal that you're keeping is one that you like. Personally, I do a grateful journal. Uh, and I've spoken about that before. Rachel Hollis says, start today. It's about what you're grateful for and where you see yourself. Um, I think the Artist's Way journal is awesome too. And I think any journal that just flushes, like I said, the inner workings of your mind and gets it all out there so that perhaps you can discern what's best and what's the next move you should make. So that's savers. It's wonderful thing to think about. Silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading, and subscribing. Become the person you need to be for the rest of the world. Take care of yourself first so that you can take care of others. And if you're the caregiver, that is most important. Be powerful, feel powerful in your motivation. So excuses like I'll do it tomorrow or there's someone else's drama happening so I can't give myself this gift of time. I think that's going down the wrong road. I think we need to really pay attention and start our mornings effectively. Look at what Hal Elrod says in his six morning habits. It might work for you, maybe two of them out of six and maybe not every day, but just make it work for you. I appreciate you being here and listening to my CD called In Translation. It's the six cello suites of J.S. Bach. 
and this was the E-flat major cello suite. You can find that on my website, amyporter.com or porterflute.com. On social media, I'm Amy Porter Flutist on Facebook and on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, I'm Porter Flute. Thanks again for being here. I'm so grateful for you.